We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Charlotte Hornets, a matinee matchup against the Hornets on Sunday at noon EST. So before football even starts, for those of us that watch the National Football League, uh, the Knicks will take on the Charlotte Hornets. This should be a game the Knicks win, but I'll tell you why I have my concerns in just a second. Later, we're going to talk to Richie Randall, a friend of the pod, a returning guest. He covers the Hornets for the BuzzBeat podcast. It's a fun conversation where he lets me in on not just how the Hornets are doing, but how this team may be in a bit of a transition year because the first year under a new owner. Uh, Michael Jordan sold the team over the summer, sold his majority stake in the team over the summer. And there, there's a lot up in the air between Mitch Kubchak and Steve Clifford. Uh, so we'll talk to Richie in just a second and get his two cents on this game. As far as connections between the Knicks and the Hornets, Frank Nilakina, former Knicks lottery pick, will not be playing in this game, but he is on the Hornets. So we'll see if Frank can make a return to MSG later on in the season. The Hornets head coach, Steve Clifford, is a former New York Knicks assistant coach. He was on the staff in the early 2000s under Jeff Van Gundy. He then followed Van Gundy after his resignation to Houston. Um, Kemba Walker, I just have to mention, is like Charlotte royalty, apparently, was the spearhead of the last Hornet playoff team in the 2016-17 season. Um, And he obviously played for the Knicks, and it was a homecoming, and that party ended very quickly in New York. Um, and then in 1993, the Knicks played the Hornets in a best of five in the second round. That was during the Knicks uh, winning streak uh, at home. They hadn't lost a game at MSG since like Christmas. And of course, they lost in the conference finals to the Chicago Bulls in the infamous Charles Smith game. But the second round matchup was against the Hornets in which the Knicks won in five. And they met again in the playoffs in 97 in a first round sweep. Uh, the Knicks won three straight. Um, that's really it for Knicks Hornets connections. These are two teams that don't have a, a bitter history. There's tiny things that come up here and there. And 
Uh, they're not a date I circle on the calendar, and I'm hoping that this game is not as exciting. Uh, it should be a team that, uh, and the Knicks, that is top 10 in net rating against the Hornets team that is bottom 10 in net rating. And to go over some stats, like I said, they're three and five so far this year. They just split a home and home between the uh, Washington Wizards, in which the road team won both games. They have a couple of impressive wins, one against the Pacers on the road, and I guess you could call the Atlanta win at home on opening night impressive even though Trey couldn't hit a shot and it's opening nights you never know what to make of a matchup like that Um, they have some losses to the Nets which I guess looks like an okay loss because the Nets look spunky this season Um, the Detroit Pistons uh, they lost to and of course this Wizards loss that they have uh, where they stand in the league in this very small sample size of 8 games they're 10th in offensive rating so they do score the ball um, they're 27th in defense and they're 24th in net rating. It's a minus five net rating per 100 possessions. So the Knicks should be able to score on this team. They should be able to win this game handily. What's scaring me a little bit is the things that the Hornets do well actually match up really well against the Knicks. And the things they do poorly have been things the Knicks haven't taken advantage of this season. What I mean by that. The Knicks being first in offensive rating, offensive rebounding this season is obvious, but guess who's third? The Charlotte Hornets. They rebound the ball really well. They're also fourth in pace. So with LaMelo ball at point, they like to run and gun. And the Knicks are a team that likes to slow it down. The Knicks are bottom five in, in pace or bottom six, I should say, in pace this season. So that's a team that that that's opposite styles, but they both crash the boards on the offensive glass really well. So it's a thing that scares me that it's not as much of an advantage by the numbers that the Knicks have on the offensive glass, but we'll see what happens. Um, The, the the Hornets are 28th in a a three point percentage allowed or three point percentage against the Knicks struggled with, with three point percentage for a while. Their last two games, they've really taken advantage of it and regressed more toward a normal. They're actually, like top 10, I think now. In fact, I have the stats in front of me, they've regressed a lot uh, after these last two games to make their, their three-point percentage look a little bit more normal. Um, here, I have it in front of me. They're 20th. So they were the 30th for the longest time. They've gone up 10 spots since the, the last time I checked this. So this should be a game the Knicks win. Hopefully they don't, as I said on the post game, screw around and make this a, a game that's close. Uh, I'd love for this to mirror the, the San Antonio Spurs game that uh, somewhere in the middle of the second half, we're all doing trivia or watching football. I have a, a bit of concern because of how well the Hornets can score the ball and at the pace they can, but I'm trusting that the Knicks defense will show up. Let's see what my guest thinks. Here is my conversation with Richie Randall of the Buzzbeat podcast previewing this matchup between the New York Knicks and the Charlotte Hornets. Enjoy. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about AG1. Going into this season, I decided it was time to make a change. My digestion didn't feel its best. I felt sluggish, stressed, didn't feel as focused, and knew I needed to do something different. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and I hated taking pills of vitamins. Well, when I started drinking AG1 daily, not only could I see a difference in my daily health, but I finally had energy and noticed how much more relaxed and focused I was. That's because AG1 is a foundational 
Mineral Nutrition Supplement that supports your body's universal needs, such as gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to evaluate your baseline health. Fun fact, I recommended AG1 to all my friends, family, and Mrs. Claudio. We drink AG1 first thing in the morning to make sure we have the energy needed to take on a busy day. There's no debate, AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash filmschool. That's drink. That's drinkag1.com slash filmschool. Check it out. Rich. Richie. I've never called you Rich, I don't think. Richie. Is that what you go by? Mostly Richie? I go by Richie. Uh, some people have called me Rich before. Uh, Who calls you Rich? Just just random friends. Okay. Is, uh, my family doesn't call me Rich. Oh, wow. So, like, Literally nobody calls you Rich then. So oh, I I apologize. This is the last time we're going to call you Rich here on this podcast. We'll stick with Richie. And I'm excited to call you my co-host for today to talk about this basketball team that I am having a hard time figuring out how to project. And I figure I'll ask a Hornets fan and a Hornets podcaster and content creator what they think. Because you look at their schedule, what's looking like a more and more impressive win in Atlanta on opening night uh, or I guess at home against Atlanta on opening night. Um, right. a, an impressive win down the stretch against Indiana, which uh, Indiana is looking more and more impressive as, as the days go by. And then there's some bad losses like the one in Brooklyn and the one in Detroit and the one in Washington, or I guess at home against Washington. And I'm sure you see the, what the schedule, at least over the next five games, looks like with the Knicks, Miami, Milwaukee, the Knicks again in Boston. And I guess my first question for you about the Hornets going into this year, because I had no idea where to put them in like preseason predictions. Like, what was the expectations going into this year? There's a lot of uncertainty during the offseason about what this team would be. So how did you approach this upcoming season? I am typically more on the uh, realistic slash pessimistic side when it comes Ooh. to uh, you know projecting where they would go. Uh, I think some optimistic Hornets fans out there were expecting maybe this team, you know, the health gets back into into, into shape and uh, everyone clicks on all cylinders. Brandon Miller plays well, you know, the Miles Bridges situation. Um, you know, if he came back and, and played well. Mm -hmm. Could potentially make it into a top eight seed, um, maybe even before you know the play in. I'm, I'm I'm talking about you know they were at the eight seed overall, and then they had to win their way into the to the playoffs. Uh, my kind of range for them always kind of existed around the the 10, 11, 12 range, but potentially even falling down to thirteen and fourteen. The only team that I ever considered like below the Hornets, like heading into the season was the Wizards. Like I was confident that that team uh, was not going to, to pass the Hornets. Now, obviously they, they did just beat the Hornets on Wednesday, but then the Hornets got them back uh, on Friday night. Uh, actually, that was, I guess, a more important win as it, as it was a playing <laughs> game or not playing game, an in season tournament game. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, the expectations have been all over the place. I, I think the health has been, you know, the biggest question mark heading into the season. 
and whether or not uh, LaMelo can, you know, play 70 plus games because he has been injured the past couple of seasons. And then just Clifford, just making sure that this team plays well defensively. And so if all things went right, Andrew, yes, they could be a top eight, nine, 10 seed uh, in that play in range. But I've always felt that they were like 10, 11, 12. That's I think I ended up with them around 10 or 11 in my preseason predictions. And you're right that the LaMelo aspect of this, like he, he got his extension this offseason. So that question and conversation is out the door. But um, you look at what he's done so far this year. And while like you're right, he's back on the court and playing. I see the efficiency numbers. I do see where he lands in usage, but he does have like a good on off so far this year to the uneducated Knicks fan that hasn't watched a lot of Hornets. How has LaMelo played so far this season? He started off a little slow, uh, but he has picked things up recently and he's been starting to put it together. Yeah, the on-off numbers are, are going to be crazy with LaMelo just because of the the backup point guard position and just the mm. way the team struggles a lot when he's off the court. Uh, th- this team, like, they, they definitely have to stagger players. They definitely have to stagger players, and you, you need that starting unit to play as much as you can. Uh, but you just can't afford to do that because you can't do wholesale changes when LaMelo and and Hayward and and Brandon Miller, some of the better distributors are off the court. This team just plummets tremendously. Uh, but in terms of an individual basis for LaMelo, I think the one thing that you're going to see in this game or just one thing that you might see a little bit more of this season is the rim pressure. Mm. Because he's always been a guy that has lived outside the arc, which... He's a good three-point shooter. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think that that's always going to be a part of his game. But one thing that I've theorized over the past couple of seasons is that he did not get to the rim as much. Uh, well, I guess his rookie season when he was healthy because of the health and kind of overcoming those mental hurdles. Man, if I if I go attack this rim and get you know blasted by the center, am I going to land on my ankle wrong? So. You know, I think that's one thing that you're going to start to see a little bit more of in this game, trying to get downhill as much as possible. And I think with LaMelo, that's going to open up a ton of things in terms of dribble and drive and kick. Like he's still a top notch distributor and he's a he's a guy that's been proven to to, you know, make shots in that floater range as well. And then I guess one thing too, Andrew, is like he is a guy that, uh, you know, obviously likes to have the ball in his hands, but he can play off ball as well, like give the ball up, let him go relocate for a three. So I, I think, you know, the health and kind of overcoming those mental hurdles for LaMelo is going to be the biggest thing. Uh, defensively, it's still kind of a give and take. Uh, you'll, you'll see points where his length comes into play and he gets deflections and steals. Other times he gets blown by his defender so or his, uh, his uh, opponent. So LaMelo has been, you know, a guy that's steadily kind of picked up the pace and the on-off numbers, like you mentioned, are always going to be there because the second unit is just so bad. So Maladon is the backup point guard at the moment, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I thought the last time we came on this, I came on this conversation with the podcast and just like we talked about the same thing, like the Hornets don't have a backup point guard. Well, it was it was DSJ last yeah. year, last yeah. year, former Nick Dennis Smith Jr. And he was like his his defensive numbers were outstanding, but you kind of uh, took us behind the curtain that they're those are those are great defensive numbers. He's not that great a backup point guard, um, at least when when you were here last year. Um, I take him back in a heartbeat right now. Well, <laughs> the, the devil, you know, right? <laughs> so, uh, so Brandon Miller, um, 
I we did a draft live stream, which is in hindsight a bit weird because the Knicks didn't have a pick. And <laughs> shout out to uh to our, our draft guru, Chris Persianen, who did so much research and the thought was like the Knicks are gonna trade into this draft, they're gonna be active on draft night, and we got like 45 picks in, and he's still like giving all of his information about prospects. And it's like I don't think the Knicks are gonna do anything tonight, man. But one of the initial shocks was that Scoot didn't go number two. And um, I, I mean, I, I, because the Knicks played the Hawks already, I watched the, the Hornets Hawks opening night game. And I saw that fourth quarter flurry from Miller um, when he hit a couple of threes. Uh, admittedly, that's like a kind of all I've seen of Brandon Miller so far this season. Um, I did see you at five of 16 last night in in the game against the wizards that the, the tournament game, as you mentioned. Um, so how would you grade Brandon Miller through admittedly the smallest of sample size that you ever want to give a grade on anybody, but uh, let, first let's start. What was your reaction draft night and what is your thoughts on him so far? I'm not a big draft guy like you, so I, I don't okay. really do a lot of, uh, you know, digging deep into those types of of players, whether it's the G League or whether it's overseas or whether it's college players. I did not have a lot of information going into it. I will say my co-hosts were very scoot heavy. They, mm. they lean that way. I don't know if it was just like the upside, the athleticism and kind of what he could turn into. Um, I don't know if it was the, you know, the controversy surrounding him in, in Alabama and whether that was going to be something else added to the Hornets plate with with Miles Bridges. Uh, but I think when you see a six, nine guy that can play multiple positions, can affect the game on both ends of the court and then can shoot the ball really well, you would hope that he's a top two, top three prospect heading in. I actually like didn't necessarily have a strong preference. I probably still lean scoot, but out of all the co-hosts, I probably was more open to the idea about Brandon Miller. And I would say, you know, eight games into the season, B plus B plus that that's okay. kind of how I would grade him. Uh, I think his three point shooting numbers have not been uh, the best so far, but I think that's only going to go up over time. I think this team desperately needs three point shooting, especially with Terry Rozier injured right now. It's pretty much all Lamella ball. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed with, with, um, with Miller and I think Steve Clifford has talked about this as well is for a rookie. He just plays so calm. Like he, he, nothing can speed him up. Uh, when he gets the ball, it's not like the extra pressure is going to make him do something that he shouldn't. Uh, he's not going to turn the ball over at a high rate. And so right now, because the three-point shot's not falling, he's still adding stuff to this team. You know, his mid-range shooting is there. He's a good passer. When he gets inside the arc, he can draw in defenders, and he can make that dump-down pass to the big. And then, you know, just with his length on defense, being 6'9", he can affect the game on that end with uh, steals and blocks and and just being able to be in the general range to contest shots. So I think the three-point numbers will come with time. But I think even if that's not there for the first half of the season and maybe come all-star break, you start to see that pick up a little bit. He's still going to affect the game uh, in other ways. And I think right now with the way that Scoot hasn't been performing, a lot of people are like, oh, wow, you know, Brandon Miller should have been the pick at number two. Yeah, the the smallest of sample size right. overreactions. Uh, we're getting some of that too in New York, whether it be uh, the poor start from Julius Randle or the hot start from RJ Barrett. Um, this is this is the time to to get your your early takes in uh, as best you can. Not not just takes early conclusions in before we have <laughs> seventy more basketball games. Although, like, let people have let people enjoy things, as I always say. Um, my favorite thing is Andrew. When is uh you know when it 
fits your agenda, you, mm. you'll, say, you'll say that it works. But then if it doesn't, be like, oh, just give it time. Just give Small it time. sample size. Small yeah, sample exactly. Size. Otherwise, but, but otherwise, of course, we'd be RJ Barrett was always going to be this. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. I, I've actually really enjoyed what RJ's been so far this year. So as much as I'm teasing the overreactions to a small sample size, there is a hint of like, oh my gosh, you figured it out. Like he's efficient. He's making smarter passes. He's, he's seeing the court better. He's playing defense. Like there is an actual like hope that this is here to stay, but you know, a lot of basketball left to play. Um, Speaking of a lot of basketball left to play, I, I led this asking you about your expectations going into this year. Not that, not that you can speak for the entire fan base, but if you had to take the temperature of the fan base uh, in Charlotte, what does a disappointing Hornet season look like? Is it is is it like would they be okay with a lottery pick and maybe a trade for an asset before the deadline? Or is there some stakes on this year that some winning has to be done? I think on the whole, most people want this team to win. Most people want this team to make the playoffs in some okay. sort of fashion. Um, I think from a practical point of view, making the playoffs is probably not worth it because you're going to get swept in the, in the first round. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that would be a disappointing season for most Hornets fans, just not making the play in slash playoffs. And I think this whole like ownership change, you know, Steve Clifford uncertainty, Mitch Kupchak, the GM like this, these all could be their last year because the owners could feel like, OK, we want our own coach. We want our own GM. We are kind of uh, frustrated or impatient with the way that things are going. And it's not going to be something that happens overnight, but it almost feels like a lot of these uh, front office people are kind of like lame duck situations where this could be their last year make or break. And I, I do think that, you know, Steve Clifford overall has been good for this team, I guess, for more from like a culture point of view and um, being a physical defensive team. We saw last year when, you know, Mark Williams came in and he was able to elevate this defense and, and Clifford just rubs off on people when it comes to that end of the court. But also, you know, by the same breath, like you don't want to waste these years with LaBella Ball. You want to form a team around him that can compete on a consistent level. So that's kind of how I would answer, answer it, Andrew. Like, I, I think that most Hornets fans are kind of like fed up and frustrated and patient. Like if you're if you're in this area, Panthers aren't doing well. Mm. Now the Hornets aren't doing well. Like they, they need some winning to go on. But also by the same token, like it's, you know, getting into the playoffs and getting swept by the by the Bucks or the Celtics. It's just not going to be very fun to watch or, or is it going to really uh, result in a, a lottery pick either? So I guess the how really matters in, in how your playoff exit goes, you know, like it was a couple of years ago with the Pelicans were the nine seed and they won their playing their nine, 10 playing. They were like under 500 you like 10 games under 500. They won their nine, 10. Then Paul George got COVID and missed the eight nine playing game, they won that, and then they took the the Suns to six games, and it was this really encouraging like six game series without Zion, and it was like okay, it was a ten game under five, it was a thirty six win season, but you can build off of this, and then there are other versions where, like you said, you're a thirty five win team that is a ten seed, and get like loses that or you're an eighth seed that gets swept even maybe that's a kind of a myth that the plane creates i don't know what, what you think but like 
it used to be that if you just made the eighth seed and got swept, that was a disappointing season. Now, if you're the eighth seed, you probably won two games to make it to the play-in or at least won a play-in game that adds like the heat. They got rolling last year because they won an eighth, eight, nine play-in game. And then that led them into the bucks. So maybe it's more of a momentum creator. Um, so like what happens if the disappointing season happens in Charlotte and the, do you see them cleaning house? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely yeah. could see that happening. I could see that happening. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm a fan of Clifford in a certain sense, but I don't know if the owners are going to have much patience for the fact that, Hey, we're going to do one more year of Clifford, one more year of Mitch Kupchak. I, I do think that they'll probably clean house and, and try to, you know, switch some things up. I think with Hayward's book, uh, numbers coming off the book and uh, they have a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot, but they, they're they probably in the top five, top 10 when it comes to potential available salary available for this upcoming off season. Mm. And they can make things work that way. So it feels like it could be a clean slate next season um, with, with personnel, but also with coaching. But who knows? Who knows? We've seen crazier things happen. This is Gordon Hayward's last year on the contract, right? He's an expiring deal. Yes, that is correct. And do you see um, him on the team past the deadline? See, that's 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 an interesting question because I, I think he has probably been, if you had to ask me, one of the more underrated players this year for the Hornets and top two, top three. I mean, eight, eight games, Andrew, but top two, top mm-hmm. three players on this team. He continues to be a guy that uh win healthy, um, very impactful in the mid-range. His presence is just is so smooth in that area. Like just go watch him in the latest game against Washington and how ridiculous and how easily that comes to him. And he's an underrated player when it comes to like passing the ball, a ball mover and and just kind of making the right pass. So one, he is impactful for Charlotte Uh, Two, his value right now, because he's not injured is high. So could you turn that into a potential trade? But the problem with that is that because his salary is so high, you would have to throw in several players just to kind of make that match. And so is that going to be worth it in the end if they're attaching, I guess, longer term pieces? And everything that I've heard is that Gordon likes it here in Charlotte, at least the area. Um, his family is kind of settling down here. So could he take a discount next year to come back and, and play? So I think it's going to be one of those things where they kind of monitor his health heading into January and February and probably take it down to the last possible second before they make that decision. I don't see them trading him in December or anything like that, but yeah, he could come back. And I I think if uh, the money is right, it would make a ton of sense just to kind of use him as a a mentor to Brandon Miller, because the way that they use um, Miller and Hayward are very similar right now um, because of the fact that uh, Miller's shot's not falling. Yeah. I, I, I that reminded myself as I was asking that, like I'm asking about a deadline question and it's again, eight games into the season. So we have no idea what the Hornets will be at that point in the year. But I think more than anybody, maybe Terry Rozier, but it's those two guys that have been yep. mentioned in every single, like I think the first time we had you on the next film school pod was in the summer of trying to trade Julius Randall. And it was like, a Horton, a Horton, a Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier for Randall and Rose swap. It was something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. And back then you were like, yeah, because the Knicks need a backup point card named Derrick Rose. And lo and behold, you went with Den- Dennis for Jr. as a as the backup. So, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see uh, how the season plays out and if they do kind of sell off their veterans to to 
um, go closer to the top of the lottery. Or if, like you said, they need some veterans in the building to, to make sure Miller has some um, mm-hmm. some kind of veteran leadership there. Um, I got to be honest, I completely forgot Michael Jordan sold his stake in the team that he's no longer the majority owner until you just mentioned it. Like, I, I do remember when it happened. I was a bit busy this summer, but when that happened, I know we talked about it last year when you were on the pod, what it's like to have Michael Jordan as the owner and how it's a much different perspective from a Charlotte Hornets fan. So when that news happened, how was that met by Charlotte Hornets fans? I would say 90% of the people, you know, liked the news, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess if you want to say it that way. Rejoiced. Yeah. yeah. Rejoiced. Okay. Uh, 10%, I think just like the, the allure of MJ in the building, I guess he's still like, Part, like my minority owner, I guess he still has a stake in the mm-hmm. team. Uh, but the fact that he's not majority and making all the the big moves and kind of taking a step back, you know, just just with his track record with this team, he's not been successful over the uh, the course of his tenure here in Charlotte. So, you know, having just a, a you know change of pace, it feels like it can only go up from here. And, you know, I think some of the moves he made just didn't make a ton of sense. Like he was sometimes he would over pay players that shouldn't or he would let guys go that probably should have been brought back he was stingy in certain areas and just when it all came down to it the on-court product just did not match his on-court product obviously like he was such a competitive guy that you know had a short leash with some of these players and and just wanted to make things right right away and i think sometimes making those quick decisions where you're not looking down the road it can uh hurt you down the road and tie things up and so, yeah, I think for the most part, most people did not uh, care that he's out of the building and we've got new guys in. We don't know much about these new guys. Uh, we'll see what they do next year. I think because because the sale was so late and the, because, you know, it, it, it was finalized later in the summer, this season feels like kind of this like hybrid year that it's, you know, it's Michael Jordan's guys up in the front office, Michael Jordan's guys on the court. Uh, but transitioning to next year, like we mentioned, it, it could be a, a different story. As someone who just doesn't doesn't know who the new owners are, um, are Hornets fans excited about the? Even though it's like it sounds like it's going to be a bit of a transition year. Um, and look, we're we're rivals when it comes to baseball. You know how the Mets were when uh, Steve Cohen took over, and it was like a wait and see, and who knows what eventually happens with with uh, that franchise. But there was optimism when he took over the team that first year. So I ask, as the fan of a team who has a new owner, is there optimism that things are now on the up and up? I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like the new owners are Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. Rick Schnall used to be uh, a minority owner with the Hawks, and obviously he had to sell that portion uh, to come over here. I-, I would say, like generally speaking, in the Charlotte area, there's not a ton of optimism just because mm. of the way the sports scene has gone. But I think just making the change and just for like the small period of time, there's some optimism, like just in, until things start to go wrong. Um, you know, we, we have a, we just have to don't, we don't have a lot of patience here. We don't have a lot of patience here in Charlotte. And I, I don't blame fans because there just hasn't been a ton of winning seasons. Like since we started the podcast, we haven't had a playoff playoff series. Oh man. We started seven years ago, uh, probably seven years ago, probably to the day or, you know, in, to this week. And we started the year after the Hornets made the playoffs thinking, Oh, we could just ride this and 
you know, get some playoff series podcast. Like we're, we're like yearning to do a playoff podcast. We haven't been able to do that. Um, so it's been a while. And I guess the Hornets have been the longest drought, I guess, in the NBA in terms of uh, a team that's made the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of optimism just because of the track record with everything that goes on. But I guess because it's a new face, new owners, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But who knows? That was the Heat series, right? The the one that went seven where yes. Wade, went, Wade went off in game six. Um. Uh, yes, I believe so. Yes, yes. You're, yeah. You are correct. You are correct. Yeah. There was like a guy sitting courtside that yeah. he was like getting into it with. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, the Hornets won game five on the road, came back home to try to wrap things up at game six, and that just didn't happen. And then, and then when the Hornets went to, to Miami for game seven, we we knew that that wasn't going mm-hmm. to be a game that we could steal. Yeah. I Listen, as somebody who roots for a team that went through a long time without seeing the playoffs, I empathize with uh, that situation. So um, hopefully things are on the up and up. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask you an evergreen question before I, I get to the part where I ask you what you think about the Knicks. And what I've been doing with my, my guests this year, Richie, is... Like here in New York, we have certain rivalries that we we hold dear and we um, circle dates on the calendar the moment it shows up. The Hornets, unfortunately, are not one of them. But I'm curious what what other teams do when the schedule comes out and what other fan bases look forward to. So if you had to name the Mount Rushmore, so obviously there's history involved, but the four biggest rivals four Hornets fans, like the four teams that, okay, like they're on the schedule. I'm circling these dates. Who would they be? I would think, well, a lot of these are probably like divisional opponents, but I would think my um, Hawks would be number one. I think the Hawks are number one. Okay. Are, yeah. You know, I think proximity plays a role there. Uh, the, the Trey young aspect, he gets under the skin. Well, <laughs> he gets under the skin of a lot of teams, especially the, uh, the say, it's it runs um, in the family here. <laughs> okay. the, family. the way that he just, you know, looks for the fouls and stuff like that. And um, it just seems like there's always interesting battles when it comes to the Hornets and the Hawks. And one thing I found out, Andrew, um, I need to find it on my Twitter so I can show you. Supposedly there is some kind of trophy that goes on between the Hornets and the Hawks. It's a, it's a trophy of a pig. 
It's called the Barbecue Series NBA, like NBA, like series. Like I, I have never heard of this thing. They did a story on it, um, you know, on opening night. Basically, if you win the series between the Hawks and the Hornets, you get this trophy. It has a big pig on it, I guess, because it's kind of like this Southern rivalry barbecue. It is the it is the strangest thing that no one had heard of. And Ashley Shamity, our sideline reporter, had found it just kind of like hanging out. Like, what? what is this trophy that we have here? So we, we are in current possession of this thing. Oh, my God. I'm staring right at it. It's like a bronze yep. pig. The NBA, the barbecue series, Atlanta, the Battle of the South. That's what it is. The Battle of the South. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's why we circle the calendar for the Hawks because of that thing right there. I, you got to win the pig. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say Hawks, uh, number one. I would say number two, probably the Heat. Uh, a lot of what you mentioned there with uh, some some playoff, I wouldn't call it playoff rivalries because the Heat have been uh, beating us in these playoff <laughs> series, even when it dates back to the Bobcats. That's number two. Number three, something about the Pacers. It's. It, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the Lamelo Halliburton thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just like a recent recency thing. But like something about that, it feels like that team has always been on a trajectory that's similar to the Hornets, but they've always been like a notch above. And so the Hornets are always trying to trying to catch up to them and and kind of be in the same same realm as they are. In terms of the fourth one, I, I guess I guess we can go Wizards, even though that they have been such a team that's like the Hornets, like on mediocrity. They they always are trying to make moves to win, but they don't end up winning. So they're kind of stuck in this like, you know, picking eight, nine, ten overall. So I would say those four. Um but definitely the Hawks. The Hawks the Hawks for whatever reason just rub people the wrong way. And maybe a lot of it has to do with Trey Young. Listen, there's no Battle of the South when the Knicks play Trey. That's just one playoff series that happened, and they've largely dominated Trey in the regular season. Um, no, no one gets a trophy when the Knicks and and Hawks play. This is the most fast. I'm going to read up on this on my Saturday now. The the battle, the barbecue series. Um, the way yeah. that it's worded almost sounds as if there's other ones out there. Like it's right. like NBA series. Like I don't, I don't know. They. Mm. The Battle of the Burrows. We should there start you go. that with the with the Nets. Although that would require require people to care about that matchup. Um, so two follow ups to the to the rival to your to your Mount Rushmore. The first one, the Heat make a ton of sense because there's like a Jamal Mashburn thing that goes back to the late '90s and 2000s because mm-hmm. he went from the Heat to the Hornets, and I remember that O2 series. Well, I guess it was the 01 series where the they were the sixth seed and they upset the Heat. It was his, he was playing his old team and then they swept the Heat and then they lost to the Bucks in the second round. Am I remembering that right? I believe you are correct. I know there's been a lot of like battles back and forth between the Heat and the Hornets in those like mid to late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s. That particular uh, year, I remember the Bucks series. I don't remember necessarily what happened that first round. Well, there's also the Alonzo Mourning factor yeah. right, that yeah. more Zoe went from the Hornets to the Heat. And then, you know, the rivalry, I guess, starts there. So, okay. So the Heat makes sense. I got to say, maybe this is just my ignorance here. I would have thought. Is there something there with New Orleans? So, like when we had the Pelican uh, Pelicans creator on, he said that he didn't mention the the Hornets, but you know they they took 
I don't know if they took your team. I don't know the history of the Hornets going to New Orleans, but um, like how like how do you experience that? What's well, weird? So, some fans actually like moved over to become a New Orleans Hornets fans when there oh. wasn't a team here in Charlotte, and maybe it was just one of those things. Hey, I'm going to be a fan of the Hornets until we get a team back in Charlotte. I don't think many people like stuck with that team. I don't. I kind of been indifferent to the New Orleans Pelicans slash Hornets. Um, I don't think there's any animosity. Obviously, you know, they took, you know, our, our franchise and, and things like that. But they just, you know, I think maybe because they're in the Western Conference, we don't see them as often. There's there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I, at least from my point of view, I, when we ever match up against them, it's just another game for us. So it's not like Browns Ravens where like Browns fans hate the Ravens solely because they took like they took their team and won two Super Bowls after taking their team. It's not it's nothing like that. I guess because the Pelicans have won one playoff series since going there, um, it probably doesn't mean as much. Although the Chris Paul New Orleans team did get to the second round too. Yeah. So I guess the only thing the only thing that maybe the Hornets, the Charlotte Hornets fans maybe uh hold something against New Orleans is when the, the year that the um they got the number one overall pick and took Anthony Davis and the Hornets were stuck with uh not stuck but they it, uh, you know they drafted MKG. Uh, you, you could have said stuck; it would have been okay. <laughs> I understand you're trying to be respectful, but yeah, I, I respectful. listen, CAA Kentucky client, we have respect for uh, Michael K. Gilchrist here in, in the New York area. Last question before I let you get out of here: It's where I turn the podcast over to my guest and ask them. How you feel about the Knicks and do you have any questions about the New York Knicks going into this matchup and for this season? Yeah, I didn't realize the Knicks were four and four. I thought maybe they would have been a little bit, I mean, you know, five and three or six and two. Like just some of the things that I've heard about them this season. I've not watched uh, too much of them. I've, I've read up on them. I've, I've listened to your podcast as well. Mm. Uh, one thing that I have noticed is, you know, maybe I can ask you a question about this uh, at, at the tail end of this, but Jalen Brunson, I, I've heard that he's not had the most consistent start, uh, but he's always a guy that scares me with the ball in his hands. And uh, because he can get to his spots, because he has some strength, he shows up in many ways uh, on both ends of the court. I know that you mentioned that Julius Randle had a slow start to the season. And my biggest thing with Julius, it always has been, and maybe maybe this is just from an outsider's point of view, is just making sure that he doesn't really turn into a black hole. Like he's passing the ball, he's he's making the right read. I think if he can do that, he just becomes 10 times more impactful. Uh, because if you try to send extra help his way, He's going to make the correct pass, and then he can kind of feed off of that. Um, I I know that R.J. Barrett has had a hot start, but I would love to know like in what ways. I know that three point shooting is probably going to come down for him, but um, he's he's definitely playing within himself, scoring the ball. And then the one player that just keeps popping up when I hear about the Knicks is Mitchell Robinson. Mm. Like, he is just a rebounding beast, um, you know, bouncy guy. He can he can play on both ends of the court. I think the biggest matchup uh, in this game between the Hornets and the Knicks is going to be between Mark Williams and Mitchell Robinson. I know that he's going to frustrate the Hornets in the pick and roll in terms of like maybe even coming up to the level of the screen and, and maybe, you know, frustrating LaMelo ball there or, you know, blocking shots at the rim. So I think the physicality there is going to be an interesting matchup because Knicks are awesome on the offensive glass and, and, and the Hornets are too, but Hornets are kind of like the middle of the road when it comes to keeping opponents off the offensive glass. So I, I think that's, that's going to be the key and, and try to limit the Knicks to these second chance points, which they are, probably tops in the league to that. But yeah, I would love to know, like, you know, what are you seeing out of RJ 
in terms of why his start has been so hot? And then maybe kind of speaking to Mitchell Robinson and Jalen. So I'll take them one at a time. Um, uh, man, the RJ Barrett experience has been a fascinating one. And I shout out to, uh, to one of our, one of our staffers, XJ, who I thought kind of nailed it on a most recent podcast episode that there's really no precedent for someone that has his first four years other than just like blindly a 22 year old getting better, right? Like you're, you're allowed to expect that that will happen. And I respect people that have always been in his corner for that belief, but there's no one with his poor efficiency and low impact to potentially negative impact that then takes a leap like this. And is like suddenly efficient, suddenly making positive impact plays um and it's it's across the board he's passing better he's playing better defense he's uh recognizing that you don't have to take a shot on a pick and roll you can look for someone on the weak side on a pass you can um be more creative in in your in your uh uh process if you'd like to and that they're I mean, honestly, you mentioned Julius making the right pass rj's I, I, he's made so many correct plays this year that it's turned him into, it's almost like you have a new weapon, you know? And I, I'm so I I was on the, the chase down um, when the Knicks played the Cavs and, you know, obviously with the Knicks, you get asked a bunch about the potential trade that they're going to make. And will there be one in season? And I got to say, like, it's only eight games. I get it. Like the small sample size is there, but I'm now at the point where I I just wanted to see what this RJ Barrett thing is. You know, like I need 82 games of this this version of him that kind of started in the playoffs and has now leaked over into this season. And, you know, that's I mean, the shooting, I don't expect him to shoot 46 percent from three this year, but his shot looks so much better just from an aesthetic standpoint. He just he looks so much more confident on the three. And I'm no longer like terrified when he takes a three-pointer. I'm actually expecting the three to go in, which is probably the best compliment I can give him. Um, What you mentioned about um, with Mitch being a monster and being able to guard at the level. So I mentioned RJ like figured it out during the playoffs and it's carried over. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers were sending both Mobley and Allen to box out Mitch during the playoffs and it just didn't work. Like the Knicks would then be like, all right, then Julius Randle is unimpeded to the ball or Josh Hart is unimpeded to the ball. It was only when Bam out of bio got involved and Spo had a strategy of any offensive rebound Mitch gets, you're fouling him and we'll live with his free throws. Um, he's just, he's been a revelation this year. He's been dominant. He's look, Dennis Rodman to me is the best rebounder of all time and, or one of the best rebounders of all time. Um, he's averaging more offensive rebounds per game, or I guess a higher offensive rebound percentage at the moment than like peak Dennis Rodman. And that's like the best compliment you can give him. He has created such an advantage at that portion of the ball. And you add the fact that he's actually like putting his like really long arms in passing lanes now. And it's almost like it clicked, which is the coolest thing about watching your younger guys develop to a certain point. They, you know, give two starters that are starting to take a leap this early into the season, which is cool. As far as Jalen Brunson, um, I've talked to some people close to the team that both he and Josh Hart were just exhausted from playing FIBA all summer. So I'm just I didn't I'm, think about that. I'm not surprised that. if he and 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 
if both of them uh, are off to some slow starts, it's really just like some bunnies that he's missing um, because like his three point shot is there, but he's missing on twos at a rate that is due for some regression, uh, which honestly applies to Julius Randle too. He got off to his historically bad start. And uh, like an article came out the other day that he was operating at 70%. Like he wasn't cleared for five on five contact. He had ankle surgery during the off season and wasn't cleared for five on five until training camp. So um, look, the, the Knicks shot quality uh, score um, is they should be five and three. RJ missed two games with a knee injury and they lost both. So they, they could potentially be five and three could potentially be six and six and two. This fan base is very optimistic about this team though. And um you know, I'm I'm expecting a W. I'm hoping for a W on Sunday. The matinee portion of it makes it a bit of a wild card. Uh, and I guess that's the last question I'll ask. Uh, are you like how are you how confident are you coming into this game? It's funny you mentioned the matinee part. I feel like the Hornets do not do well in matinee games. I wonder mm-hmm. if there's uh some kind of website that that kind of post win loss records in like in matinees. Yeah. Hornets probably not not too well. But uh, no, I don't have much confidence that the Hornets are going to win this game. Could they win this game? Obviously, sure. Um, I think it's going to be a physical game, like I mentioned, on the glass. And I think with Mark Williams and Nick Richards, you know, they're not the perfect matches to keep him off the board, but they are definitely physical bodies. And they are guys that live in the paint, live on the block. The Hornets are going to get their points in the paint and at the rim. But, it, you know, Mitchell Robinson could be the guy that swings it in the opposite direction and and frustrates them. So it's crazy to think that not Julius, not RJ, but maybe Robinson is the X factor in this game. It's been like this since the Cavs series, though, that he has <laughs> been such an X factor. This Every game this year, it's been like they can't stop Mitch. They cannot stop Mitch as much as... RJ and what he's doing is is so awesome. Mitchell Robinson's been the best Nick this year. Like as much as impacting winning is concerned, I it, it's far and away what he's doing is tilting the balance in in their favor in in games that he's playing. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that I, what we said the other night was like don't screw around. Like you should win a game at home against the team that you're you're projected to be better than uh, it's again. It's the matinee thing. Like, I know you said the Hornets aren't good at matinees. A Sunday in New York is just so unpredictable about how people are going to show up, what people did on Saturday night, how, uh, how, how, what version of the teams are you going to get? So, you know, we'll see what happens on uh, on Sunday. Uh, Richie, I went through this whole podcast without mentioning that, uh, you and I are rivals. We're talking about Mount Rushmore rivals. Uh, we're rivals in uh, another sport, uh, uh, Major League Baseball. We have a bit going on, me and uh, the Knicks Film School audience, that I bring up baseball on every single one of these pregame pods and how long it took to get up to it. I thought I was going to get to the very end without doing it, but I brought up Steve Cohen. So that timer, uh, unfortunately, got hit. Um, I'll just... 30 seconds. How you feeling after the Braves and, and the season that they unfortunately ended in disappointment? Yeah, this was the year that I thought they were going to win it all. And in baseball is probably the most unpredictable sport out of out of all like the major ones. I feel like when you go into the playoffs, it, it is really any team that is kind of like firing on all cylinders. The momentum is a thing. I'm not going to I'm not going to bring up the fact that they had, you know, X amount of days off before they started their series. Like, I don't think that's the sole reason as to why they did not win uh, their opening around against the Phillies. 
but overall, like, you know, regular season, best team in baseball playoffs, it doesn't matter. Like if they didn't show up, they didn't show up. And, uh, you know, the pitching, the pitching was a little bit of a struggle and they're gonna have to fix that next season. But it's funny. I was, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Mets fans down here in our area, a lot of really? fans. And, uh, I asked a couple of them the other day, like, which team do you dislike more the Braves or the Phillies? Both of them said the Braves. I'm like, I I, I cannot stand the Phillies. Like if, if you were to ask me Phillies versus Mets, I would say I, I dislike the Phillies more. I don't know if it's like the fan base, not necessarily the team per se, but the fan base. I don't know. Mets I can deal with on, on, on a certain level. So see, there's a reason. And I'm assuming that the fans that you spoke to that are transplants. Yeah. They're close to my, my age. And we grew up with the Atlanta Braves, Chipper, J- Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, Ryan Klusko, the all the Tom Glavin killing the Mets when he was a Brave, and then when he was a New York <laughs> Met. Um, like we went through the trauma of all those division titles and falling short in the '99 series. That any frustrations that the Phillies caused in the late 2000s, I was more frustrated with the Mets than the Phillies. After those wars, like the Mets, I thought had better teams and just collapsed down the stretch. And here we are. The Braves are now doing it to us again and they're dominant. And I think where you're more frustrated with the Phillies, there's an actual rivalry there. Like, yeah, yeah. there's two playoff series that they've won when the Braves have been the better team. So, you know, they, the Mets, unfortunately, do not have that experience of actually beating the, they've beaten the Braves once in the playoffs and it was in 1969. Oh wow. So, yeah. Uh I apologies Knicks fans, Richie got me going, but that that I I can perfectly explain why I have much more hate for for the Atlanta Braves or more frustration with the Atlanta Braves than I do the Phillies. Um but and all things being equal, I, I'm kind of more upset with my team at the moment. So we'll we'll see what happens uh, with, with them in a different sport. Thankfully, I have the New York Knicks and we have this basketball game to look forward to to distract us uh, on Sunday. Richie, thank you so much for joining me uh, for again for another pregame pod. Quick, before we, we wrap up, tell people where they can find you on the Internet. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Richie Randall, Twitter. Our, our podcast at Buzzbeat Pod. Our episodes are on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, occasionally, we do go live after games on YouTube. And so, Knicks fans, if you're ever feeling bad about your team, just come over and listen to Buzzbeat, and then you guys will magically just feel better about, about your team. That, that's how it works. You know what? Perspective. I like that. Knicks fans, go get perspective is what Richie's trying to say. Uh, Richie, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Once again, a big thank you to Richie for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup between the Knicks and Hornets. Two things. This this pig trophy, I'm telling you to Google it. It's the craziest thing. The Battle of the South. I, I... I know that we had the the Mayor's Cup or whatever it was. I know it was between the Knicks and the Nets. I think the Yankees and Mets played it once. The Jets and Giants had a had a bowl that they used to play in an exhibition that like fans legitimately fought in the stands. Like I understand that this Hornets Hawks trophy is insane, and I, I appreciate learning about other cultures, especially in this country, and how other portions of the world live it. And if you're in Charlotte and this means something to you. 
enjoy it. Like have, I, uh, my rule is let people enjoy things and I hope you enjoy the pig trophy. Okay. And then when he said at the end, you know, as, as much as we get frustrated about the little quibbles about our team, some coaching decisions, some minute distribution, some Julius Randall ISOs, some, some possessions where RJ are quickly, you know, have the ball the whole time. Like these little things, the lobs to miss that they miss, the, the minutia that fans get into and complain about. And then you have Richie who's like, yeah, we've been doing this pod for like five, six years and I've, we've never covered a playoff game. Like that perspective, the, how, how I, it just stopped me in my tracks that we've done this twice already. We've gone to the second round with the Knicks. And while obviously the goal is a championship and that hasn't happened, we haven't seen the conference finals since 2000, but um, I just, I, I don't want to get lost in the fact that the Knicks are, have, have given us some good times recently that uh, as Richie said at the end, if you want to really put things in perspective, go listen to a Hornets fan. But thank you to Richie, who's become a good friend in this content space. You can check out uh, his pod, the BuzzBeat podcast, on everywhere podcasts are available. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. You know what to do. The KFS bump. Head on over and subscribe, rate, review, do the whole thing. As far as this pod is concerned, I will be back on Monday morning with a pod. So tomorrow, recapping, or not recapping, previewing the next second matchup of the season with the Boston Celtics. But that'll do it for me on this show. If you dig it, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Until next time, which, like I said, is tomorrow. Enjoy the game today. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace.